Let us pray. There is a love that holds us. There is a love holding all we love. There is a love holding all. We rest in this love. Amen. My father loved people and had a gift for connecting with them. Given enough time and conversation, he could discover a connection with anyone, a family tie, a common friendship, or some meaningful point of shared experience. And when traveling with dad, we frequently found him sitting on a bench talking to some stranger, but he wasn't a stranger for long. Dad was also a born storyteller. When visiting mom and dad at their home in Alexandria, Louisiana, dad was always the breakfast cook. And what he liked best when cooking was an audience. I remember him saying to me more than once, just sit down and keep me company while I cook. What he really meant was, just sit down and listen to me while I talk. Dad had a way of using stories to teach a lesson, and I remember this vividly from my childhood. After some disappointment or struggle, Dad would come along and draw me into a story. And it was only as I walked away after our conversation that I realized that maybe he was telling me something, a lesson or a moral that he thought I needed to hear. And if it was my father who gave me a love of people and their stories, it was my mother who introduced me to reading and my love of books. Mom had a well-stocked bookcase in the living room of their home. And as a young adult, I discovered some wonderful authors through her love of reading. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Graham Greene, Walker Percy, Ann Tyler, and John Irving, to name a few. What a gift from my parents, this love of stories that they bestowed upon me. Stories have an amazing power to draw us in and help us see life and the world around us from a different perspective. And through this, perhaps even to transform us our minds and our hearts. And in our lectionary stories for this morning, I noticed a common theme that I'd like to explore with you. The reading from 1 Samuel is the story of God sending Samuel to Jesse of Bethlehem to select from Jesse's sons a new king of Israel. And the Lord told Samuel, do not look on the outward appearance or on the height or stature. The Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearances, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then in the passage from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, Paul is addressing a problem, it seems, concerning a group within the church at Corinth that seems to have been obsessed with the outward appearances of success 
rather than what was in the heart. Paul says, we who are in Christ can no longer regard anyone from a human or outward point of view. In Christ, we become new creations. And as such, we see things in a new way. And then last in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. The smallest of all seeds on earth. And yet when it grows up, becomes the greatest of all shrubs so that the birds can nest in it. And the common theme that spoke to me from these passages of Scripture was this invitation to look not on outward appearances of things or people, but rather to look for that which lies inside, in the heart. I believe it's an invitation to see as God sees. Recently, in my quest to read some of the great classic novels that I overlooked or avoided in my youth, I think I got burned by The Sound and the Fury by Faulkner and swore off the classics until about two years ago. So I started this journey with Charles Dickens and David Copperfield, and my most recent read is The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. And I'm not sure what I expected to find in this novel Steinbeck published way back in 1939. But I was amazed by the timeliness of this story set in the Great Depression just outside of Salisaw, Oklahoma, not far from here. It is the story of the Joad family who lost their farm and their livelihood during the Great Depression of the 1930s. And the Joads heard stories of workers needed to pick grapes, oranges, and peaches in the land of plenty, California. And along with hundreds of thousands of other farmers from the Dust Bowl of Oklahoma and beyond, they loaded up their old truck with their family and all their earthly possessions that it would hold, and they headed west to this land of hope. And the thing I found so touching and heartbreaking in this novel was seeing life through the eyes of this migrant family as they made their journey west and encountered hardened people along the way. Gas station attendants, storekeepers, deputy sheriffs who they called bulls, people whose hearts had been hardened by their fear of this mass migration of unimaginable proportions. And instead of seeing these migrants as people down on their luck and in need of kindness and compassion, all they saw were the broken down vehicles tattered clothes, dirt cake faces, and empty pockets. Instead of seeing out-of-work farmers looking to make a new start, they saw dangerous strangers to be feared. And the term Oki, which originally meant someone from Oklahoma, now came to mean trash, scum, ignorant, dirty, dishonest. The Jodes could see it in the eyes and hear it in the tone of voice of the folks who called them by this name. And as I read on, I couldn't help but think of the current attitudes so many of our fellow Americans hold toward migrants from Mexico and Central America, looking for their land of hope. 
people hoping to make a new home for themselves in our land of plenty that have been labeled rapists, drug dealers, thieves, illegal aliens, and Mexico's worst. Migrant children have been separated from their families at the border all out of fear. People in power seeing the world through the eyes of fear. It's shocking how fear can affect us and affect how we see the people around us. Our fear, sometimes expressed as hatred, can blind us to what lies below the surface of the person before us. I was reminded of this on my recent trip out west to Seattle for my daughter Elizabeth's graduation from college at the University of Washington there. And as we drove around downtown Seattle, the number of homeless people there overwhelmed me. The number of tent encampments along the downtown streets and under the downtown overpasses was hard to take in. And on every street corner along the waterfront, there were homeless men and women asking for a handout. And it was tempting to just look away or to see them not as beloved children of God in need of kindness and compassion, but as unwanted problems to be dealt with. So how do we learn to see the struggling people around us not as unwanted problems to be dealt with, but as fellow travelers in need of kindness and compassion? How do we keep our faith grounded in compassion instead of judgment and fear? In our text from Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, he says, Christ died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we can no longer regard anyone from a human point of view. I believe that for Paul, the key to seeing the world as God sees it is the cross. The cross gives us a peek into God's heart. It is through the cross and God's own wounded heart in Christ that God sees us with compassion in our pain, in our struggles, and even in our fear. And it is a cross-shaped keyhole through which we see the world as God sees it. Through the cross, we see that this journey of faith is not an upward path towards spiritual perfection and moral superiority from which we look down on others. Rather, as Richard Rohr says, it is a downward path toward compassion where we learn to draw self-understanding and empathy from our flaws and our imperfections and our weaknesses and our scars. It is through holding close our own sufferings with Christ's suffering that we see our struggling neighbors with compassion rather than fear and judgment. In one of my favorite parts from The Grapes of Wrath, Tom Jode recounts to his mother 
one of his conversations with Casey, the preacher. Casey had lost his faith and quit preaching, and he tagged along with the Joads on their journey west. And after witnessing the misery of so many desperate people looking for a way just to make a living, he saw the way fear could divide people. Workers competing for the same jobs and driving wages further down and down, and landowners competing with other landowners to sell their produce always cheaper and cutting wages, and banks putting the screws to the landowners, all divided by fear. And in the face of all this despair and fear, Casey went out into the desert one day looking for meaning to find his soul. And he said he found he didn't have no soul that was his alone. Says he found he just got a little piece of a big soul. And his little piece of a soul wasn't no good lest it was with the rest and was whole. It is as though God hides pieces of our hearts and pieces of our souls in other people. And it's not until we include the pieces of our souls hidden in the other, especially the others we most want to exclude and see as somehow different and less than us, that we are truly whole and fully human. Salvation is not a private affair between me and my personal Savior. It is a communal affair. Somehow my redemption is tied up with my neighbor and hidden in my neighbor's pain and in my own. I believe this is how we grow a heart, how we grow our capacity for compassion. This is how we learn, I believe, to see as God sees. Toward the end of our trip to Seattle, I was sitting alone in the restaurant of our downtown hotel for breakfast. And I chose an open table with a large window facing the street. And there I had my coffee and eggs over easy, bacon and toast, as I watched the people going about their business out in the street. I was thinking about the grapes of wrath and the Joads and the preacher Casey and seeing people as God sees them. And I watched the bellman helping a young couple with their luggage. I watched the homeless man who had been sleeping in a corner just outside the Starbucks next door as he moved to a more strategic location for begging. I watched a heavily tattooed woman with half of her head shaved and the other half colored a bright magenta as she walked her dog. And I saw a Tesla pull up out front of the hotel and a neatly dressed couple handed the keys to the parking attendant. And I found myself smiling and thinking as each walked by, there is a little piece of my soul hidden there. Amen.